Worldwide, cardiovascular disease affects the lives of hundreds of millions. Dedicated cardio nerds everywhere are working hard to fight this global epidemic. These are their stories. Hey, cardio nerds, it's Dan and Amit, and we are excited to release this very special episode on January 1st, 2021. And we would like to wish every one of you a very happy, healthy, and nerdy new year. Goodbye, 2020. Hello, 2021. We begin this bright new year full of hope and optimism with an important forever series that we will be calling Narratives in Cardiology. Team, we are really passionate about the Narratives in Cardiology series, and we'd like to tell you all about it and how the vision for it crystallized. Several months ago, as we were going full throttle with the planning phases of the CardioNerds Case Reports Recruitment Edition series, Dr. Pamela Douglas, who heads the Diversity and Inclusion Task Force for the ACC, reached out and asked if we'd like to discuss diversity and inclusion on CardioNerds. Now, you all know that promoting diversity has been a stated CardioNerds mission since inception just over a year ago. Until now, the execution of this mission was done primarily by aiming for a diverse group of guests and team members. On the other hand, we had rarely deliberately discussed this important subject with our guests in a direct way, and we knew that we could probably do more to shine a light on diversity and inclusion in a more effective way. On the other hand, we were not sure how our guests would appreciate being asked about their diverse backgrounds when we invited them to discuss their expertise in their fields. So naturally, we were quite thrilled and grateful with Dr. Douglas's request. But when we started brainstorming about how we could do this most effectively, we took some time to pause and reflect on how we wanted to proceed. Our first step was to reach out to a long-term CardioNerds mentor, Dr. Kimberly Manning, a strong advocate for diversity and inclusion. Dr. Manning reassured us that it wasn't awkward to consider diversity heavily when inviting guests, but quite the opposite. It is important. She said something like, you don't know what you don't talk about. So we thank Dr. Manning for encouraging us and really giving us the courage to be deliberate about diversity and explicit in these discussions. Our next step was to establish the Narratives Council for ongoing guidance and mentorship so we could ensure the greatest possible impact. We're grateful to our Narratives Council members for helping us promote diversity. Doctors Michelle Albert, Quinn Capers IV, Pamela Douglas, Martha Gulati, Bob Harrington, Sharon Hayes, Anne-Marie Navarre, Key Park, and Noshin Riza. From there, as with many of our Cardiners' ideas, things just rapidly progressed and, poof, we designed this Narratives in Cardiology series. In this series, we will invite Cardiners' heroes to first teach us about their areas of expertise, but we will also recognize that expertise is not created in a vacuum, and everyone has a story or a narrative to tell. And so then, we'll talk about their narrative, the story of their path into their field, including their challenges, successes, and advice. We'll start with Dr. Manning's suggested question. What was the moment you decided you would or could become a cardiologist? We'll ask them about issues like mentorship, work-life integration, balanced family life, and more. We'll spotlight amazing cardiologists from diverse backgrounds and showcase cardiology as the field we love in an overall effort to help everyone feel included and welcomed. With the CardioNerds Narratives in Cardiology series, we want to celebrate the individual differences that make us stronger as a community. Simply put, as Dr. Douglas said, we want everyone to feel like they can get on that dance floor and dance like nobody's watching because this is your community. With that, let's get on with the show with our very first Narratives in Cardiology episode and learn from Dr. Pamela Douglas about both diversity and inclusion as well as her personal narrative. Amit, before we start the show, we have a very special message from a very, very young CardioNerds fan. Happy New Year's! CardioNerds, welcome back. Promoting diversity and inclusion has always been a part of our mission since we launched, it's amazing to say, just about a year ago now. Today, we get to kick off a long-running series to help us do just that. And who better to help us get started than Dr. Pamela Douglas, an absolute authority in this area, among many other areas. Dr. Douglas, it's always a privilege for us to introduce our guests, but honestly, I couldn't even figure out where to start for your intro. Looking back through all of your accolades and experiences and everything you've done, I honestly was feeling a bit intimidated and was very happy when I got a message from a dear colleague who told me about 
all of the impact you've had on her, both professionally and personally. And so I was very quick to ask her, hey, would you like to help us introduce Dr. Douglas? And she was very honored to do so. Hi, Cardi Nerds. My name is Vanessa Bloomer, and I'm a second-year cardiology fellow at Duke University Medical Center. I have been given the honor and very difficult task of introducing someone who needs no introduction. Dr. Pamela Douglas is someone I greatly admire. It is impossible to mention all her accomplishments and contributions to the field in this brief introduction, because simply put, she has done it all. As a woman leader in cardiovascular medicine, she has been a true pioneer and has excelled in all areas, science, academic leadership, and professional societal positions. As part of her academic leadership roles, she served as the co-director of the ECHO Lab and the director of the Cardiology Fellowship Program at University of Pennsylvania, and then was a director of non-invasive cardiology at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. Later, Dr. Douglas served as chief of cardiovascular medicine at the University of Wisconsin and then was appointed chief of cardiovascular medicine at Duke University Medical Center. Her stellar participation in professional societies has granted her several groundbreaking roles. She is past president of both the American Society of Echocardiography and the American College of Cardiology. Yet I must highlight, she was the first woman to serve as an ASC president and was the second woman to serve as president of the American College of Cardiology. Legend has it that she was also an Olympic torch carrier. Dr. Douglas is a luminary in our field. With over 500 peer-reviewed publications, she is renowned for her scientific and policy work in improving the quality and appropriateness of imaging and has been among the forerunners in a number of other areas including heart disease in women, sports cardiology, and cardio-oncology. But personally, I am inspired and forever grateful to her for her contributions to diversity, gender equity, and her tireless efforts to make our profession more inclusive. Through her scientific and research pursuits, she has also helped shape the research agenda of the country. Just as an example of this, Dr. Douglas formed and has chaired the ACC Task Force on Diversity and Inclusion. Since 2017, this task force seeks to propose solutions that can lead to an increase in the numbers of women and other underrepresented groups within cardiology. For all her remarkable accomplishments, ACC awarded her this year with a Distinguished Award for Leadership in Diversity and Inclusion. And in second honor, the award now carries her name. I also just learned this week that the ASC has a new scholarship award, the Pamela Douglas Research Scholar Award. But beyond all her accolades, Dr. Douglas is an incredible mentor, a true role model, an inspiration, an utter pleasure to work with and learn from. She has paved the way for so many. Dr. Douglas has truly shattered the glass ceiling. I know you all are going to enjoy this episode and will learn an incredible amount from her. Like I was once told, Dr. Douglas is the light that we should all be gravitating towards. Wow. <laughs> um, well, that's an introduction that would make my mother blush. <laughs> so <laughs> even my mother couldn't do that. Thank you all for your incredibly kind words. And it really is the relationships that we have and the people whose lives we can improve that uh, makes our own careers worthwhile. So I'm blushing too. Dr. Douglas, it is an honor to have you on the show. And just hearing about the the torch, whatever it is, rumor or not, the torch bearing, uh, torch running at the Olympics already makes me want to just go for a jog right now and lose the COVID-19. So it's true. It's true. Oh, wow. That is, you have to definitely tell us about that experience at some point. Folks, we are quite jazzed to be joined by three remarkable colleagues today. Drs. Zarina Sharalaya, Interventional Fellow at the Cleveland Clinic, Narissa Haynes, Cardiology Fellow at Penn, and Pablo Sanchez, Cardiology Fellow at Stanford. Zarina, Narissa, and Pablo have joined our little cardio nerds family and will be incredibly instrumental in leading our programs to promote diversity and inclusion. Guys, we are just so excited for you to be joining us here today and cannot wait to see the incredible things that we'll do together. Hi, everyone. So honored to be able to take part in this discussion with you guys. Yeah, thank you again for inviting me to be a part of the team, and I look forward to working together. Hello, everyone. Yeah, this is this is a cause that we're all very energized and passionate about. So it's great to be on with such a luminary. Serena, Narissa, Pablo, we are just so honored for you to be here, as we said earlier. And thanks again for taking the leap with us. We just proposed this, this project to you and you just signed on without hesitation. And we're just excited to see what we'll do together. Dr. Douglas, 
As our listeners know from previous episodes, promoting diversity is a key value in the Cardio Nerds family and dovetails with our overarching mission to democratize cardiovascular education. So to kick off this episode, I think we ought to start off with some definitions. Can we define diversity and what do we mean when we say inclusion? Sure, I think this is a great way to start. So diversity applies really broadly to all aspects of human differences, not just gender or race or ethnicity. It includes a range of characteristics such as age, physical ability, gender identity, geography, language, nationality, religion, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, among others. And what we really like about diversity is because it helps us to be better in many ways, to make better decisions, to do more impactful and innovative science, to include more available talent and experience, and to promote health equity, all very relevant to us in cardiovascular medicine. It's important to note that while diversity is measured by representation, by counting heads, the presence of those with varying identities and characteristics is not the final goal. That representation is not enough. Inclusion is really the final goal. We use diversity as a metric to measure not whether we have achieved inclusion. So turning then to the definition of inclusion, what are we trying to get a metric for? It's having a culture and a climate and an environment in which all can thrive. This requires to fostering belonging, respect, and valuing all, including listening to, appreciating multiple perspectives. Achieving inclusion requires individuals and organizations to work together to eliminate both uh, volitional or obvious explicit biases as well as implicit biases. We can achieve inclusion intentionally by things like professional development and skills development, awareness, educational and policy, really intentional change or quality improvement. So while diversity is a core element for successfully achieving inclusion, diversity and inclusion are both necessary for excellence and really to achieve our mission of improving cardiovascular health. That's a great foundation for this discussion, Dr. Douglas. Over recent years, professional diversity has become an important topic at all levels, and everyone is talking about promoting diversity. The cardio nerds, societies like the ACC, graduate medical education, major journals, and more. How do we really measure success? You were talking about diversity is really a metric and that inclusion is really what we strive for. What does the optimal diverse workforce look like, and what what really are we striving for? So, you know, where we are right now in cardiovascular medicine, where we've got barely in the double digits in terms of representation of women and in the low single digits for African-Americans, Hispanics or Latinx and Native Americans, we really do need to focus immediately on representation because it's very hard to really be inclusive if everybody is the same. We need to get that diversity of backgrounds and experiences and thinking into the mix, and that will help us become more inclusive. So I I do think, although it's a metric for now, it's an important metric because it helps us to improve in a very concrete and measurable way. But ultimately, what we want is for people to belong. So not just be asked to the dance and sitting around staring at everybody else, but really feeling like you can go out on that dance floor and dance like nobody's watching. And it's fine because this is your community. Thank you, Dr. Douglas. So we've established what diversity and inclusion means and what the goal is, but let's also talk about why. So from a program director survey by Dr. Julie Damp and others, 86% of program directors felt that diversity in cardiovascular disease as a field needs to increase. But that also means that 14% of them felt otherwise. Some might say that maybe a technical field like cardiology, you should just look at board scores or technical aptitude without a lot of regards to gender, race, or ethnicity. So why is it that diversity and inclusion is so important? So yes, that survey, 86% is a lot. You almost never get everybody agreeing on any kind of survey. So I I would say it's a very high number. It's overwhelming. There were also some program directors that didn't complete the survey, and we don't know how they felt. 
So it's not surprising that when we have a new concept that requires change, that there's a, a little bit of reluctance perhaps to embrace it or fully understand it. So cardiology is, in fact, technical, as you say, but you know, none of us wants to be cared for by a technician. We want a physician. We want a caregiver. We want somebody who knows how to talk to us, who knows what's important to us as a patient and as an individual, and who makes very thoughtful decisions that include us that reflect the totality of who we are and what we care about. You're not going to get that from a board score. You're not going to get that no matter how good you are in the cath lab. You're not going to get that from from ability with a catheter. You're going to get that from uh, really, truly being understanding fellow human beings and empathetic, being respectful of others, and making sure that you bring your humanity and their humanity to the caregiver relationship. But there are other reasons why uh, diversity is important. So I, I mentioned these a little bit. There's really good evidence that cardiology in, in particular benefits from a lot of backgrounds. You know, when people have looked at literally millions of papers and found that the work by underrepresented groups has higher scientific novelty than by non-diverse groups, and that's both for um, gender and for race. And so if we want research that shows a lack of originality, um, then we should stay the way we are as not being diverse. But if we value uh, innovation and scientific quality, we need to do something about it. Great. Thank you, Dr. Douglas. So the ACC has deemed diversity and inclusion as central to their mission of transforming cardiovascular care and improving heart health. This is fantastic and very important. I currently serve as the fellow representative to the board of the Association of Black Cardiologists, commonly known as ABC. It has been ABC's mission since it was founded nearly 50 years ago to improve diversity and inclusion within cardiology and to address health disparities as well. So in your opinion, what is the link between professional diversity and healthcare inequities? And does a diverse workforce more effectively improve population health? Yes, there is a link. And yes, it does improve population health. Let's look at that. So there's a lot of data out there that indicate that physician diversity reduces disparities and improves healthcare quality. And this ranges from physicians who train in diverse environments are more culturally competent when treating underrepresented groups that underrepresented physicians are more likely to serve underserved populations and give back, that underrepresented patients are more likely to follow the recommendations of physicians who look like them. There's enhanced trust, which is critical to an effective patient-physician relationship. And that even in the clinical realm and guidelines and so on, that underrepresented physician scientists help to diversify our clinical trial participants and investigators and give us a better evidence base. So overall, it, I think it reduces healthcare disparities. And I think these, this is a very important way among many, but a very important way to get at healthcare inequities. Dr. Douglas, I loved what you said earlier about making people feel like they're able to dance. I could totally relate to that in a way. You know, whenever we start a new phase or chapter in our careers, whether it's starting off in med school, it being intern, first day in cardiology fellowship, or even first day in the lab, we know that we're invited. We know that we're allowed to be there. We are we have our name, we have our ID, but we just don't feel ready to dance. And then as time comes along, we do. And hopefully, and for people who can't feel like that, that's a problem. We need people to feel relaxed themselves and be able to dance, as you said, literally and figuratively, although I do both. Anyways, Zarina, if achieving inclusivity within cardiovascular medicine is the goal and diversity is our metric, as Dr. Douglas said earlier, what's our current report card? How are we doing? And give us the real facts. Ugh, Dan, I think we'd get an F personally, but women constitute 43% of internal medicine resident physicians, but of that only comprise 22% of general cardiology fellows and even lower proportions within procedural fields like EP and intervention. Yeah, and Zarina, the benchmarks, unfortunately, for underrepresented minorities are similar, specifically Blacks, Hispanics, and Native Americans. It's just disappointing. 
While these groups make up about 32% of the U.S. population, they only account for 13% of general cardiology fellows. We have even less data for other racial and ethnic groups and for other facets of diversity, such as socioeconomic status, sexual orientation, gender identity, IMG status, and more. And Narissa, these are just figures for the field as a whole. And I imagine that these inequities are even worse in advanced faculty positions and leadership positions. I'm thinking right now, actually, of our conversation with Dr. Julia Grapsa, who's one of few women journal editors-in-chief. So Dr. Douglas, where do we stand now? What grade would you give us on diversity as a field? So I think it is very hard to give us a single grade because in some areas, we're still a long way off. But in other areas, we have made a tremendous improvement. I do want to caution us not to get into the specific numbers about representation. Ideally, we want inclusion in our field to be more holistic and to be related on competency and quality. And I would include diversity as a competency. Uh, So if somebody brings a different perspective, they're valuable to the group just as much as somebody who has uh, a leadership skill or an interpersonal skill. That's important to the group. Uh, But we should be thinking about competencies and not just counting heads. Uh, Really, representation is tough. And of course, as you all know, fraught with a long history of uh, legal argument around quotas and so on. And we just, there's no need to go there. There's so much quality amongst underrepresented groups. If we just look at the quality in an unbiased way, I think we'll really improve the field. So diversity among cardiac is a important goal. It's really critical, as we've said, and we'll talk about more, but we could definitely do better and be more inclusive. As a field, we're out of rhythm with populations that we serve. What's the remedy? How do we shock ourselves, or I should say cardiovert ourselves, into a more diverse and harmonious rhythm? I think there's a, there are multiple paths here. We need to start with the pipeline, and we need to make sure that people in college and maybe even younger than college, and certainly college and then medical school residency, know about cardiology because being cardiologist is awesome. It's a wonderful field, and it has so much to offer. So we need to pull them in. We also need to make sure that the field is welcoming to people, that we don't have a macho culture that the more hours that you spend in the cath lab or the less sleep you get over when you're on call makes you a better doctor. It just makes you tired. And so we need to, to make sure that our culture is welcoming. We need to make sure there are opportunities for advancement, that we're equitable in how we compensate people and how we offer people opportunities, including promotions and leadership roles. And to do that, we need to uh, make sure that our institutions have really addressed systemic racism and systemic sexism that just have things you can't even imagine or see perhaps, and that all of us have uh, understand implicit biases and how they play an important role in helping us navigate the world, but can also be our enemies when it comes to prejudging people uh, rather than really listening and understanding what they contribute. That's great. So we were intrigued also by the ACC's hashtag the face of cardiology campaign. Dr. Douglas, you had previously said that through the face of cardiology, the ACC is taking to social media to highlight individuals on the front lines of cardiovascular care that make up the diverse fabric of the profession. So what is the ACC doing to redefine the face of cardiology and why is it important? So we're doing an an amazing number of things, education, communications, creating relationships within the college to make sure diversity and inclusion is embedded in everything that we do, uh, relationships with other organizations, as well as um, making sure that we're recruiting, deep pipeline recruiting, as well as retaining and, and offering leadership opportunities to our people. The ACC has a overall strategic plan, and there are three um, metrics related to diversity and inclusion in that plan. One is delivering education, uh, which we've done with a range of things that are all on the website, including implicit bias, materials for women, uh, imposter syndromes, 
uh, racism and COVID. So a whole variety of things. Uh, the next one is increasing the proportion of underrepresented groups in ACC leadership by 10% each year. And we had a just had a recruiting season with filling our committee slots. And I don't know the results of that yet, but I know that there was a lot of consideration for women and people of color in ACC committee positions. And the third one is to better understand our field. There is some reluctance on the part of cardiologists to complete their demographic information. We have gender in about 80% of cardiologists, but race ethnicity only in about 50%. And that's even those who opt out. That's just people who haven't entered that in their member profile. So we really need to understand what the face of cardiology is now, and and then we can work to, to change it. Great. Thanks for that, Dr. Douglas. And on a related topic, can you explain the concept of the residency to fellowship cliff? Why are we losing talent to other fields? Oh, this is fascinating. About 10 years ago, Linda Gillum, myself, and others did a survey of internal medicine residents to ask them what they thought about cardiology. We also asked them what was important to them in their lives and their professional development. And then what did they think about cardiology? And as it turns out, the things that were most important to them, and I understand these are internal medicine residents who are already in medicine and have already in, in intellectually challenging and, and engaging careers. And the things that were most important to them were the things that they found most absent in cardiology. So stable hours, family friendliness, and so on. And this is just the culture, I think, of cardiology. As it turns out, those who went into cardiology really didn't care about those things, but the ones who did care about those things went into something else, other field in their fellowship training. So we really are losing people. We're really turning people off. And this was more true for women than for men, but it was true across the board. It really didn't matter whether you were male or female, man or woman you still had these negative perceptions of cardiology that were at odds with really what trainees wanted. The difference between men and women is that the predictors for choosing cardiology amongst men were mostly attractors to the field. Like they liked ICU medicine, they liked doing procedures, things that were attractive about cardiology. And for women, the predictors of what career choice they would make, they were all about running away from cardiology. I don't want to go there. So they were all negative predictors. But I, I think this is was eye-opening to me for a number of reasons. And it was, if you will, embarrassing because you don't want to be thought of as having a culture that turns people off. You know, you want to think about being welcoming and people who are talented want to come join you. Uh, but that is not the case. We're repeating that survey now with internal medicine residents, and hopefully things have changed a little bit in the last 10 years. Yeah, thanks, Dr. Douglas. These resident and PD surveys uh, really do help shed light on the residency to fellowship cliff. You know, we lack, and I'll quote from the PD survey, qualified applicants, I think partly because the talented individuals are turning away from cardiology. And some of that is probably related to, as you said, the, the negative perceptions about the culture within cardiology. And we certainly have strides to make with regards to how to allow for a balanced life as a cardiology fellow and a cardiologist later on. But I do think that these negative perceptions have lagged behind the strides that we have made. Just for myself, for example, I'm a third-year cardiology fellow. And uh, you know, I feel like I've been getting incredible training as a fellow, but at the same time, I feel like I'm living a full life outside of the fellowship. I feel like I've been there for my three kids as a father, spending time with my wife and doing the things that are important to myself. So in that vein, we are very proud to say that the CardioNerds are creating the Narratives in Cardiology series to help address these very obstacles and perceptions. We want to show our audience the CardioNerds version of cardiology, the field that we love and live by. Wonderful. It's just, you know, wonderful to see that. And, it, you know, I think it'll take more of that, of welcoming people in to say, I can have a normal life. Yes, I completely agree. And I also really agree with what you're saying, Amit. As our listeners know, we just, are, we just love the medicine. We love the patients. We love the mentors. We love the field. We just love everything about what we do. And we've been able to do it 
with uh, a good balance of work. Our spouses may disagree with this, actually, we should say. No one said it was easy. And I, I'll, I'll just, a brief moment, I'll, I'm remembering um, a conversation I had with Dr. Key Park, and our audience will get to know her very well as one of our key advisors. And she has this video she put out with the ACC that talks about how she was an intervention fellow and her child was in the NICU. And while being an intervention fellow, she would essentially go from one floor to the next to try to spend time with her baby and breastfeed her child. And, and the moral of the story for her was that you can't do it all. But at the same time, she was telling me, she's like, you know, it's, it's hard because you can't tell people it's easy, right? I mean, it is hard. You know, the important thing is to, uh, one, make sure that we our priorities are valued. And for the field and our our mentors and our employers who have structures in place that allow us to try to achieve that balance. But it's not easy, but it's certainly achievable. I, I think there's achievable and there's superwomen. You know, almost any woman who's an interventionist now has put up with an incredibly adverse training environment and cath lab environment. And I'm not interventional, but the stories I hear make your skin crawl. And it shouldn't have to be that way. I think we want to get to the point where really talented people who who don't have extraordinary coping skills and energy and can get by on an hour and a half of sleep every night. Uh, we want those people too. Those people will be contributors and they will help our field and our patients. Everything I know about Dr. Key Park, super, uh, superwoman is, a, is an apt adjective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and definitely true. And that that's right. And, and and obviously there's ebbs and flows in training and it can be harder and easier at some times. But what, what is also really important is that built-in flexibility to be flexible when times are challenging, particularly if there's a family issue that comes up or a personal issue that comes up, to have that flexibility and have that understanding that it's okay. You can do that. You can take paternity and maternity. You, you need to spend time with figuring things out. You can do that. And it's very helpful. Our Cardi Nerds plan is really to reintroduce everyone to a more inclusive and welcoming culture that we are creating in cardiology today. And that's we as in the greater world here, not just us, obviously. But it's a real mission that's aligned with our values and which cultivates positive perceptions in the field. We're just really excited to feature faculty and trainees representing diverse backgrounds to both teach us about their area of expertise and their contributions to cardiology as a science and their clinical superpowers. And But also, we want them to tell us about what we call their narratives, the stories of their path into the field, including challenges, successes, and advice. We'll ask them about issues like mentorship, work-life integration, and balancing family life, and just a host of other things. And we can't even tell you how excited we are to bring that to you. I think it's an amazing effort, and it's part of what we need to do, because as we talk about these things, and as we hear the stories, and as we understand what the value is to cardiology, I think it'll make the field more attractive, but it'll also make everybody feel more human. Gosh, if they went through that, I can get through this. I, I think that's just, it so resonates with people to hear uh, about each other and to help change perceptions and biases, if you will, uh, about individuals. So phenomenal effort. Thank you, Dr. Douglas. And you know, this is a good opportunity for us to recognize and reflect on how the narrative series started in the first place. You may recall our mentor, Dr. Grima Sharma, had connected us. You emailed us on Friday, July 17th. We remember it clearly. It was a hot summer day in Baltimore, uh, a high of 88. I was trying to get some vitamin D through the window in the back of the cath lab. And you wrote to us that there aren't enough women and underrepresented minorities currently applying to cardiovascular fellowships to have a major impact in the workforce in any reasonable time frame, And we'd like to change that. And if you're interested, let's chat. That was the email that we received. And that led to a meeting with yourself and another mentor, Dr. Nishin Riza. And we were so inspired by, by your vision and passion that we knew this was something we had to do. And it wasn't going to just be a one-off episode. We were going to basically have our entire platform marinate in this idea. Promoting diversity has always been an explicit goal. But speaking with you, it lit a spark that ignited the whole narrative series, which will be an even more deliberate way to address this key aspect of the mission. Since that hot summer July day, we've been putting our pens to paper, or shall I say probes to chest, in planning this important effort. We're grateful to have mentorship from our Narratives Advisory Council members who will mentor us as you work on this project. Really, thought leaders in the field, in addition to Dr. Pamela Douglas, 
We're excited to get mentorship and advice from doctors Michelle Albert, Quinn Capers IV, Martha Galati, Bob Harrington, Sharon Hayes, Anne-Marie Navarre, Key Park, and Noshin Riza. And in addition, we are proud to have three very special fit advisors to help us lead the series. Again, our very own, Zarina, Narissa, and Pablo. In all, we are just so excited to work with and learn from our advisors, guests, and audience as we change the face of cardiology. This is fabulous. It's just fabulous. You know, the, the whole point of diversity and inclusion is to learn from each other and to learn from the diverse perspectives that each of us brings. And it's not just about that learning. It's really about excellence and quality. And we've been very careful and very deliberate in the ACC and in when I talk about diversity to talk about the value that it brings to our field and to our culture. I've stayed away from saying it was harder for me than it was for the guy next to me because that really doesn't matter and it could be seen as whiny. What's important is I could contribute more to the field if it were more of a level playing field. And I could and you could and all of us uh, on this podcast can contribute more. The more welcoming we are, the more the environment respects us and treats us as part of the team. And that's all what diversity and inclusion is really about. This has been such a great discussion, everyone. Um, and, you know, I was so excited to get involved with the Cardio Nerds on this special series because it actually piggybacks on something that I've been working on with the Ohio ACC. And we actually started a women in cardiology group in the last year. And it's been great to have the support of the ACC and pushing forward with a variety of initiatives to promote recruitment of women into cardiology, which Dr. Douglas, as you said, should start early on. And we'll actually be starting an initiative aimed at high school females called the She Looks Like a Cardiologist campaign to spotlight cardiology as a potential career. But, you know, thinking back on your own story, do you remember the moment that you decided you could or would become a cardiologist? Yeah, actually, I remember it very well. I, I, um, I was a resident at Penn. Uh, so, Nurissa, I'm an old hubster from way back. And I loved ICU medicine. Mark Josephson was my attending, and the patients were incredibly sick, but we were incredibly motivated to take care of it, and we really felt we were on the cutting edge fighting disease and saving lives. But it just really didn't seem like that was where I was going to go. And as a matter of fact, I applied in rheumatology to fellowship programs until one day in the parking garage over by the Hilton, I ran into the chief of cardiology who said to me, Pam, have you ever thought about becoming a cardiologist? He said, we need more women in the field. There was one pediatric cardiologist who's female. He said, there's one person over at CHOP who's a woman, but we don't have anybody here. And I want you to really think about that because we'd love to have you in the program. And I was like, whoa, okay. And then I thought about what I really wanted to do and uh, that I loved clinical research and the mix of being a clinical scientist as well as a clinician and an educator and decided that cardiology was my home. And of course, as they say, the rest is history. But it really, it took somebody reaching out to say, you could be a cardiologist. You're smart, you're capable. Come join us. We need more people like you. Wow, that's amazing. It's incredible the kind of impact one person can have on another in a brief moment like that. Dr. Douglas, this part of the narrative's episodes and discussions are really aimed at learning more about our role models' stories and their relationships with the field. And we have a number of questions we were planning on asking you, but I just have to start with the story of the Olympic torch. Would you feel comfortable sharing how that came to be? Sure. I did a lot of work in sports cardiology in the 80s and 90s, a little bit into the odds. Don't really do too much of that now but got motivated on that in the early 1980s when a colleague at Penn was training for the Hawaii Ironman. And I had never heard of anything like that. And I thought it was the craziest thing I ever heard of. But he was taking a year off from his orthopedics residency and to train and also was studying a bunch of Ironman athletes. And he said, do you want to just echo them and see what their hearts look like? And so I did. And, and I was hooked. It was fascinating. It was the very first time, this was 1983, 84, that we found valve regurgitation because we just got Doppler. And we found in these incredibly healthy people that their heart valves leaked. 
And we were shocked to find what we now consider a little bit of physiologic MR, TR, PR. And we thought, these guys are healthier than I am. So there must be something good about this because they're not dropping like flies. But really, we didn't think these valves were supposed to leak. And so we followed that on with transporting an echo lab to the finish line at the Ironman Triathlon, which we did first in 85. And then every year for the next 15 years uh, to study the athletes before and after completing this uh, humongous amount of exercise. And as it turns out, there is an entity called cardiac fatigue, which we were the first to describe which uh, includes a transient decrease in cardiac function and a leakage of troponin amongst athletes. And some of the ones that drove the hardest and had the highest heart rates had the worst pictures. And some of them were truly cardiomyopathic at the end of the race. And then within 48 hours, it recovered. So in any way, that's a long way to say uh, that was a gig I couldn't refuse, which was going to Hawaii every year to do echoes on athletes at the Ironman, so two weeks of every year. And then when I moved to Boston, I started working with the athletes in the marathon and ran the elite medical tent in the marathon during my time in Boston. And so when the Olympic torch, the Olympics was, what year was it? 2002, I think. And I was invited to carry the Olympic torch for a leg in Waukesha, Wisconsin. And I did, and it was amazing experience. It's very scripted. And, but, and everybody has to wear the Olympic torch uniform and carry the torch and run their piece, get all the photographs taken, and then hand off the torch. They light the torch of the next person. But it, great experience, really fun. That is such a cool experience to hear about. One question I had, Dr. Douglas, given your huge presence in cardiology, was there a female mentor that you had along the way? And do you think that's important to being a successful woman in cardiology? Or is it more important to just have a sponsor regardless of gender? I think it's more important to have a sponsor regardless of gender. But I wouldn't underestimate the importance of role models. It's very hard to conceptualize something if you can't see it. And there weren't very many of those in cardiology back then. I was the third woman in the training program and the first woman on the faculty at Penn. And then when I went to Wisconsin, I was the only woman on the faculty. And I got asked, I said, what are you going to do with all these men? And I looked at the person that was asking me and said, I don't know. What are they going to do with me? I'm the boss. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, amazing. So, Dr. Douglas, you are very accomplished and you've been the president of societies, chief of a division, director of a research institute. When you look back at your career thus far, what are you most proud of? Wow, that's a tough question. It's in a couple of categories. There's definitely a category of scientific accomplishments. And I believe that the field of cardiovascular imaging um, is one in which I've had a truly major impact. Fifteen years ago, we were talking about image quality as in the eye of the beholder. And now we routinely have outcomes trials in cardiovascular imaging where we say, did adding this test or did the information from this test change our clinical thinking and change our therapeutic care? And did that improve survival or reduce heart attacks? And that is so far different from just saying, oh, wow, look, I can see those valves, or I can see that image, or that's such a sharp picture, to really say what's not just the image, but what's the information from the image, and then what does that information do to improve outcomes? And I think I've contributed in a major way to, to that transformation in imaging. I, I would say uh, I've mentioned some sports cardiology contributions early on. I think in the field of diversity inclusion, uh, which has been an important focus the last four or five years, I think there's two things. One is making it an evidence-driven question and a quality-driven question. And that gets away from the individual and the individual struggles to say, really, are we offering equity to our division or program? And does everybody have a fair shake? And can we measure that? And can we improve it in a quality improvement? Can we plan to improve it, study what we did and improve it some more? And I think that's really important. And the flip side of that is that there are so many women and others in cardiology who I believe have, they're, they're not, the barriers are not gone. 
by any means, let me not not imply that, but I think who are now included in a way that they weren't, certainly when I was uh, starting, coming up, and hopefully that will continue to happen. So if I can be a facilitator and a role model and a, a change agent, to that is an important piece of legacy as well. What was the the recipe for your success along the way? What's the road to becoming a leader as a, a woman in cardiology? Oh gosh, there, there's so many things I could say to this. I would say, I don't know if any of you are skiers, but often we're on groomed slopes, but sometimes we're off slope, off the beaten path, if you will, off piste, and you're in trees and you're glade skiing. And the trick to glade skiing is to not focus on the trees. Right. I don't know if any of this resonates with any of the listeners. Well, if you focus on the trees, you're going to go right into one because you're focusing on the tree. The, the, what you need to do is focus on the spaces between the trees. And I think that's true for our careers. Don't focus on the obstacles. Focus on what you can do and what you want to do and how you're going to get there. That's amazing advice. And actually, I'm going to admit that I've never gone skiing, but I actually, my kids and I, that's the goal this summer where we're going to, this winter is we're going to try skiing for the first time. So I will probably try to not get distracted by the trees and hurt myself. <laughs> so thank you so much for that. Great advice. Speak of my kids, we love a good Marvel movie. We love a good hero's origin story. And you shared your origin story with us in terms of how you got started in cardiology and, and what led you to the career path that you have done today. And when we look at you, we see a pristine role model. You're on the top of your game. You're an absolute leader in the field. Do you ever make mistakes? Because I know in the superhero movies, they do. do you, is there anything that you would have done differently along the way? Oh, gosh, a ton of things. <laughs> how long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> we can edit anything you will say uh, if you change your mind about it being aired. <laughs> so, Oh, gosh. Gosh, I don't even know where to start. Big decisions, little decisions. Things happen to you. I think, you know, I, I think it's hard to say if I'd done something differently, would things would undoubtedly have turned out differently, but would have they been better or worse? It's hard to know. I mean, I've certainly had setbacks. You know, each time I moved institutions, it was because I felt I wasn't getting what I really needed at that institution. Could I have doubled down and stayed and not been disruptive? Yeah, maybe. Uh, Maybe not. At Duke, uh, chief of cardiology was a bumpy experience. And I think not, I was not the individual that the dean wanted. And uh, the tenure was rather short. But in fact, that was perhaps the best thing that ever happened to me because I doubled down on the space between the trees, which was to get back to a full-time research career. And that's when the imaging focus really blossomed. And that has been very important to me and I think and very rich experience. Yeah, it's such a powerful story, Dr. Douglas. And what I'm taking away from that is not working hard necessarily to avoid every setback because it's probably unavoidable, but you know what your response is to that setback. How do you respond when one door closes? How do you open another one? And that's, I think, something I'll be keeping to heart. And I've been taking notes on what I should be doing uh, moving forward. And so far, I've written down, I've got to learn how to ski and feel more comfortable getting on the dance floor. And that's a tall order for anyone who's ever seen me on the dance floor. Dr. Douglas, we know you as the indomitable Dr. Pamela Douglas, but we'd love to meet Pamela or Pam. What do you enjoy outside of work and, and how does that fit into uh, all of these different doors you've been walking through over the course of your career. Uh, being out of work is wonderful. <laughs> outside, outside of work is wonderful. I'm not sure being out of work would be wonderful being unemployed. I We live in a very rural part of North Carolina and have a big garden and grow a lot of our own vegetables and herbs or kind of foodies, foodies and winies. And that's really fun and sharing. It's a great way to share with friends. And there's actually a network of cardiologists across the country that get together to drink (laughs) wine. Many of us are past presidents of the college that share some of these interests. And and those are deep and important friendships to me. I also love being outside in nature, hiking or walking on the beach. And uh, it's the quiet times to me are are what's most, most rewarding, I think. Downtime, quiet time, my husband and I get my cats. I don't have any kids and uh, a good book. Like I said, just recovery R&R time. Dr. Douglas, what makes your heart flutter about (laughs) being a woman in cardiology? 
Um, <laughs> I, I, um, I think being part of a community. We have, and, and many women have contributed to this, but there is a very strong community of women in cardiology. And interestingly enough, there, there are some pretty unique first names on that. And Minna Walsh did this in her presidential address, and she started listing out the names. So Minna, I'll start with Athena, current president, Dipti, incoming president, Noel, and, and so many others, Roxana. Really, you know, unique women who are so smart and so capable and who help each other and lift each other up. That's amazing. All right. Dr. Douglas, thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to have this important discussion with us so that we could really get to learn more about you and then also understand why diversity and inclusion in cardiology is so important. I'm so honored to be able to be part of this podcast and this new series with you guys as well. Thank you so much for having me today, but also for the incredible work that you're doing on behalf of diversity and inclusion and on behalf of all of us. Hi, Cardio Nerds. It's Vanessa again. When I was invited to introduce Dr. Douglas for this episode, I immediately knew it was going to be truly impossible to capture her legacy to diversity and her overall greatness in just a couple of words. I certainly didn't feel it was something I could take on by myself. To end this episode, I invite you all to hear a little bit more about Dr. Douglas from the people who know her best. Hi, this is Bob Harrington from Stanford University. And what a privilege it is to record about Pam Douglas for Cardio Nerds. I first met Pam in 2004 when she came to Duke. And since then, I've been impressed with her fairness, her sense of equity, her transparency and decision-making. I have learned an enormous amount from watching her as a leader. And I've also learned an enormous amount from her in watching her as a scientist and clinical research leader. Thank you, Pam, for all that you do to make our field better. Next up is Dr. Melissa Wood. Dr. Wood is co-director of Corrigan Women's Heart Health Program at MGH and incoming chair-elect of the ACC Board of Governors. In her words, she was fortunate enough to be a fellow at Beth Israel and worked with Dr. Douglas when she was the Echo Lab director. Dr. Douglas has been one of her mentors and a dear friend. I would like to express my personal gratitude to Dr. Pamela Douglas for all that she has done for me as an individual and for my colleagues and our specialty. Dr. Douglas has incredible insight and instinct and is able to see the gaps that exist in the current practice of cardiovascular medicine. She also has the talent to be able to develop unique solutions to these problems that exist and allows each of us to actually excel given her ability to see in us our talents and aptitudes that many of us don't actually see in ourselves. She's also incredibly generous with her time and sharing her expertise and guidance for this I think we are all incredibly grateful. I'm Rick Chazal, a clinical cardiologist in Southwest Florida, and like Pam, a past president of the American College of Cardiology. Throughout our society, fairness achieved through diversification and inclusiveness has become an appropriate focus. And for ACC, it's not only the right thing to do, but also in the best interests of our patients as we aspire to improve heart health. There's no person who's worked more toward meaningful advancements in this area than Pam Douglas. Many of us talk about it, very few really act in a meaningful way. And this is a theme throughout Pam's career and throughout her life. She not only talks the talk, but she walks it as well. And when she does, she leads all of us to follow. Few are privileged to be exposed to such a person, and fewer still have the great fortune to have a colleague and friend who continues to be a mentor. I count myself among those fortunate individuals to have such an honorable role model and close personal friend. This is Nosheen Reza, heart failure and transplant cardiologist at the University of Pennsylvania and current chair of the American College of Cardiology Fellows and Training section. I first met Dr. Douglas in February 2017. She was visiting Penn as our cardiovascular grand round speaker that week, and I was fortunate to be invited to dinner with her the night before her talk. I was a second-year general cardiology fellow and had taken preliminary steps towards launching our Penn Women in Cardiology program that year. At that dinner, Dr. Douglas and I had a wide-ranging conversation and swapped many entertaining stories about our respective cardiology fellowship training experiences at Penn. 
As you might imagine, we kept returning to conversation topics related to the careers of women in cardiovascular medicine. As a young fellow, I was invigorated by how she spoke about the importance of working harder and working together toward a more diverse, equitable, and inclusive professional experience for our patients, for ourselves, and for our future generations of cardiologists. That dinner was a defining moment for me as I embarked on what would become a central component of my early career thus far, advocacy to improve the personal and professional lives of women and underrepresented cardiologists. Since then, Dr. Douglas continues to serve as a guiding light for me and many other early career cardiologists working toward an equitable future for all. Despite all of the demands on her schedule, she remains incredibly generous with her time, advice, and support. Being able to spend time with and learn from her has been one of the greatest surprises and joys of my involvement in the ACC thus far, and I feel incredibly fortunate to call her a mentor. My name is Neha Pugadipati, and I am a cardiologist at the Duke Clinical Research Institute, and I am proud to call myself a mentee of Pam Douglas. I received this amazing advice early on in my research fellowship at the Duke Clinical Research Institute, and that was to be photophilic or bend towards the light. And I took that advice. I was sitting at my desk at the DCRI late one night and Pam walked by and asked if I wanted to work with her on a publication from the Promise Trial. And I'd never worked with her before, but I'd obviously heard about her. And it was on a topic that wasn't something that I was currently working on, but I remembered the advice to be photophilic. One of the best things I did was recognize that Pam was the light. And so I absolutely said yes, and it was one of the best things I've ever done. Getting to work with Pam Douglas has been an absolute joy. She has taught me how to have strength in a field that is tough, particularly for women. She's taught me how to be disciplined and organized, how to lead. She is funny, irreverent, brilliant, caring, all of the things that I want to be. I owe so much of my career to her. Hello, everyone. I'm Minna Walsh. I am a past president of the ACC, also medical director of heart failure and transplantation at St. Vincent in Indianapolis. And it's my pleasure to reflect on Dr. Pam Douglas's career as a diversity and inclusion advocate. I'll give some data probably others don't have. I was lucky enough to serve on the first women in cardiology task force and committee with Dr. Douglas. And so saw her in action early on in her career addressing issues of diversity and inclusion in cardiology. So really great to have a moment to give a nod and a shout out to Pam. Thanks. Hello, I'm Melissa Daubert, Associate Professor of Medicine in the Division of Cardiology at Duke University. I feel fortunate to know Dr. Douglas, not only as a colleague, but also as a mentor, a research collaborator, and a friend. There's no doubt that Dr. Douglas has made an indelible mark on the field of cardiology through her groundbreaking work in cardiac imaging women's cardiovascular health, and structural heart disease, which has set the standards for clinical and research practices today. But what I'm most in awe of is her unwavering commitment to support and cultivate the careers of junior investigators, especially women. She's unselfish with her time, and it's been over a cup of coffee or a homemade dinner that she's encouraged me, and I know countless others, to think big and innovate. Dr. Douglas is undeniably a luminary in cardiology, whose tireless efforts have opened doors for many. And as a result, it's made our field more innovative, equitable, and diverse. My name is Gerald Bloomfield, and I'm a cardiologist at Duke University and the Duke Clinical Research Institute. I've had the pleasure of working with Dr. Pam Douglas, both clinically and on research projects for over a decade. One of the first things that struck me about Dr. Douglas's approach to her clinical work was how methodically and thoughtfully and carefully she performed her transesophageal echocardiograms. Her approach to a comprehensive study is what I currently practice and what I teach to my fellows. In the research space, I've been fortunate to have Pam as one of my mentors, and I can wholeheartedly attest that not only is she well accomplished, as most people in the world would know, but she is a generous mentor who is giving of her time and her talents late into the evenings and on the weekends. And it's because of that type of mentorship from Dr. Pam Douglas that I've been able to be successful. My name is Angela Lowenstern. I'm one of the Interventional Cardiology Fellows at Duke University. I first met Dr. Douglas as a General Cardiology Fellow at Duke and then had the privilege of working with her during my two years of training at the Duke Clinical Research Institute. We have worked closely together on sub-studies of the PROMISE trial, and Dr. Douglas has been the kind of research mentor every fellow hopes to have. 
She helped me to develop my own ideas for our study while supplementing them with her broad knowledge of the trial. She allowed me to take ownership and lead the team while providing her unparalleled guidance from her expertise in the field. When our abstract was accepted for presentation at ACC, she supported me in applying for travel awards and then highlighted these achievements to the division. Beyond her exemplary career, Dr. Douglas has led the fellowship in trying to create a more diverse and equitable training program. She is known through generations of fellows for the honest and thoughtful advice she gives surrounding job searches and early career success. Dr. Douglas is a fierce supporter of her mentees and truly exemplifies that when we highlight others' achievements and build each other up, the team as a whole succeeds. I feel truly fortunate to have been able to work with her and benefit from her mentorship during my fellowship. Hello, colleagues. I am Ralph Brindis, clinical professor of medicine at UCSF and a past ACC president, but more importantly, a longtime close friend and admirer of Pamela Douglas. Throughout her career, Pam has been a trailblazer, not only in advancing cardiovascular care through her imaging and cardiovascular outcomes research, but also as a leading advocate and pioneering spokesperson for diversity, equity, and inclusion within cardiovascular medicine. Pam's credibility as a pioneer for DE&I is firmly based not only on her own professional accomplishments, but enhanced through her remarkably effective leadership roles, having served as both ACC and ASE president. Pam was co-chair of ACC's Presidential Task Force on Diversity and Inclusion, has offered multiple editorials in peer-reviewed cardiovascular journals on diversity, and has written extensively on gender pay inequities, demographics within cardiology, burnout, and radiation safety. Dr. Douglas has helped the expansion of the deep pipeline of women in cardiology and has created a clinical trials boot camp for early mid-career female cardiologists. She was a co-author on ACC's policy documents, exploring flexible careers, compensation, and opportunity equity. In Pam's own words, although diversity is sometimes conceptualized as representativeness for its own sake, it is rather the recognition that variety in talent, character, and experience are necessary to advance the art and science of cardiovascular medicine and achieve the mission of the American College of Cardiology. Diversity alone achieves little, without being combined with inclusion and equity in all aspects of our professional lives. Hi, this is Mike Valentine. I'm a cardiologist at UVA and a past president of the ACC, which I indeed share with Pam Douglas. I have known Pam since 2005, and as for many of you, Pam has had so many important roles in my life, that of teacher, mentor, co-chair, Madam President, friend, nominator, supporter, sommelier, chef, writer, editor, leader, and innovator. There are so many, but two of those stand out above the rest. For me, one is teacher. Pam inspires us with passionate, original thought every day. She makes us all better than we would ever be by ourselves. And of course, the most important is friend. Pam has deep, unconditional love for her friends that never wavers. Whether you're sitting on a balcony in Napa Valley or on her back porch drinking coffee in Durham, she is always present with us and without us. So for that, we are grateful and all of her close friends, comrades, partners, and wine drinkers love Pam Douglas. So here's to you, Pam. We honor you again today and thank you above all. My name is Annalisa Crowley. I am the director of Duke's Cardiology Fellowship Program. I am grateful for the opportunities I've had to work with and learn from Pam Douglas. Pam's been an amazing mentor for me on research projects and American College of Cardiology task forces. In particular, I valued Pam's leadership on the ACC Diversity and Inclusivity Task Force. Pam's vision, tireless passion, and efforts for raising awareness and developing strategies to increase diversity and inclusivity in cardiology are inspiring. These efforts directly impacted our program's sustained success at recruiting and retaining a diverse class of trainees. I have told Pam before and happy to share with you that I believe everything that Pam invests in turns to gold. Thank you for giving me this forum to express how much Pam has impacted my career. Thank you. 
Hey everyone, my name is Jeff Ginsberg and I'm a researcher at Duke University and also happen to be Pam Douglas's husband of 25 years. Thank you, Vanessa, for asking me to play a small role in the series of Cardio Nerds on Diversity. When I first met Pam, she had already written a book, actually two books, on how cardiovascular disease treats women differently than men. But soon after, it was clear that her passion is also about how the field of cardiovascular medicine treats male and female cardiologists differently as a profession. She's written extensively on this topic and has published data on differences in salaries, academic rec, and on tenure. But more recently and importantly, she's led the American College of Cardiology's Task Force on Diversity and Inclusion, also known as D&I. The ACC instituted an award for diversity and inclusion, and Pam was one of its first recipients, and now the award is actually named after her. Hardly a day goes by where D&I are not mentioned in our household. I can't tell you how much I've learned from Pam about this important topic, and there is no doubt that I am different and hopefully a better person because of her insights. I also know so many people, fellows, faculty, and friends who have benefited from Pam's wisdom and mentorship, and so I am excited that you are devoting serious time to this topic. I'm also so honored that I have had the chance to express my obviously biased opinion about how awesome Pam is to all of you. I know this will be a great series. Thank you, and go Cardio Nerds. which will be even more deliberate, sorry, which will be an even more deliberate way to address, uh, sorry, to address this, I'm getting so emotional. I don't know why. Oh my God. <laughs> 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 I don't know why. <laughs>